Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. a series this evening on uh, the subject of holiness and we're going to spend a few Wednesday nights talking about this and uh, I don't know exactly how long right now just follow the will of the Lord and the leading of the Lord in that but you can remain seated and I want you to turn with me if you will to the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and I'll begin reading verse number 14 a very familiar passage of scripture And so the audience here this evening may have heard this message or messages like this of sorts um, through the years many times, but it never hurts us to revisit the fundamental grassroots issues um, that we are are facing and that the scripture teaches us about. I want to welcome our online audience as well, and I pray that you'll make the journey with us and uh, in this study. As a matter of fact, I believe if... um, if the fragmented borders that are in our that are so evident and prevalent in our world today are not evidence that we need clear and distinct lines then i don't know what more we would have to have to validate the uh, the the importance of there being some Limits some line, something that's drawn that gives definition, and um, so I, I believe that we need to look around us and see the society, um, the moral decay, and that is just putting it so mildly. But the moral decay that is everywhere present—it's not just in metropolitan areas, it's not just in certain segments of our nation or world; it is all around us. It is right here. And so I pray that the Lord will help us this evening. I want to I preach this evening about the call to holiness. The scripture says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Holiness has often been preached about or taught on, and this is just my opinion, but it has often been preached and taught many times in a negative way or a disdainful, distasteful point of view. And many times holiness has only been taught or perceived as being something that just applies to ladies, but it doesn't apply to men. Or it leaves the impression many times that men have no limits or scriptural guidelines, but nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. And so I've asked the Lord today for a special anointing upon my life and my heart and my lips to speak on the subject. I believe that any speaker tonight, that is me, but any speaker is just a vessel, a conduit through which the Spirit of the Lord flows. He has to use a voice. He has to use some measure of intellect and things of that nature. So I've asked God to just make sure. I sincerely prayed this today, that my heart is clean and my mind and my motives are pure. 
And I don't want to be cynical. And I certainly don't want to be angry. If anything, I want to be anointed of the Lord. Amen. The new birth, I believe, is an initial experience of salvation. But, but the work of salvation does not end there. That's just the starting point. Because there is also the continuing work that we refer to and it's scripturally referred to as sanctification. And so we can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but we need there to be an ongoing work of the Spirit of God in our lives. And we're not going to peek out on that work at the age of 18 or 21 or 40 or 50 or 65. None of that is true. We're going to allow the Spirit of God to do a continuing work in our lives. And I believe that that work takes place as we submit ourselves to not only the leadership, but we submit ourselves to the control of the Spirit of God. We need His Spirit to lead us and guide us because the new birth will have no eternal value unless we continue to walk in faith. It, it, wouldn't, it doesn't really matter uh, what kind of initial experience a person has. All of that will come to nothing unless we continue to walk with God and live after the nature of the Spirit of God. We need that ongoing work. So I need to allow the Lord to complete some things in me. I believe I'm speaking tonight not only to people here, but those that are joining us. I believe I'm, I'm speaking to people that, that have the victory over some things in your life that you didn't have a few years ago. Amen. You know why? It wasn't because you got tougher wasn't because of your will just got stronger. It was because you allowed an ongoing work of the Spirit of God to do a work in your life. Amen. I've said many times that at some point we have to stop asking forgiveness for things and ask the Lord to give us the victory. Amen. To give us a determination to get the victory over those things. So uh, holiness is not an option. The Bible says in our text tonight, holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And so I believe that it is a command that we are to implement in every aspect of our life. I would also like to say that holiness is not an outward thing exclusively. Amen. Holiness is a lifestyle. Holiness is not just something that we look like, but holiness and holiness is not just something we do on Sunday. Holiness is not something we do on Wednesday. Or not, holiness is not something we do when we think we might run into some church folk. Holiness is a lifestyle. We lay down at night holy. We raise up in the morning holy. Amen. God is holy. And, and holiness is an essential aspect of his nature. Everything about God is so holy. And so with respect to God, it means absolute Purity and it means moral purification. And so, in, in respect to humans, holiness means conformity to not only the character of God, but conformity also to the will of God. Lord, thy will be done. Thy will be done in earth. In earth, that's what the scripture says, as it is in heaven. Adam was made of the dust of the earth. And so I say, Lord, let your will be done in earth, in me, as it is in heaven. And so I, I need to conform to, the, to uh, the character of God and conform to the, wor to the word of God. And so that means thinking like God thinks and, and loving what God loves and hating what God hates and acting like the Lord would act. How would the Lord handle this situation? 
Amen. God commanded his people to be separated from all other people and to be dedicated to worshiping the one true God. And so here are the key phrases in what I just said. God commanded his people to be separated from other people and dedicated to worshiping the one true God. So the key phrases of that statement is this, separated from and dedicated to. I've met a lot of frustrated people who just got separated from something, but they never dedicated themselves to the Lord. And so they just think, well, if I just stop doing this, then everything's just gonna work. Everything, But you can't just lay something down. You gotta pick something up. So we separate ourselves from the Lord, but we have to from the world, but we have to embrace and dedicate ourselves to God. Separation from sin, separation from the world system, and then dedication to God and His will. Second Corinthians six and seventeen, the Bible says, "Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you." Amen. There was a there was something that that uh, that prefaced the Lord receiving us. We can't just come into his presence and everything be all right. Amen? He said, you come out from among them, be a separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I believe that we need to come into the presence of God, lifting holy hands. We need to be able to magnify and praise God with pure lips. I don't want to be saying hallelujah with the same lips that was using four-letter vulgar words all during the day. Amen. That's not going to be acceptable to the Lord. We can't think the Lord's just going to take that. Amen. You know, if we're, if we're in a restaurant, and this happened to us not long ago. As a matter of fact, it was odd, but it happened to us. We got into a restaurant with to eat, unfolded the, the, the napkin, and on a piece of the, uh, of the, heart, the silverware there was a, just a little flake or something of food from... Somebody before. And so, you know, we didn't get up on the table and make a big scene about that, but we just motioned for somebody to come over and they apologized and brought us another set. And would you believe that all this happened to my wife, of course. <laughs> uh, would you believe that as she unfolded it, there was, there was also stuff on that second thing. And so we, we just, I just picked it up and went back up to the desk. I said, we don't want to cause a scene here, but we really do need another <laughs> Another thing, because, you know, we just weren't willing to accept that. I've got enough sense to know that somebody ate before I got there. I also have enough sense. I try not to think about it a whole lot. But I also have enough sense that somebody ate off the very fork that I'm eating off before I got there. But I want to I have in my heart an assurance that there was a purification process that happened somewhere along the line. And so, you know what? You're all nodding your head. You're all in agreement with me. And you're saying you would have sent that back as well. And that you would not have just said, well, oh, well, it's, it's, it's everything's fine. And scratched it off and flecked it off to the side and went right on. No, no, no. And so we can't think that God is going to do anything less. That we can just do whatever we want to do and then come into the presence of the Lord and say hallelujah and make everything all right. And that our praises be pure. I need to keep moving here. Amen. Holiness means that we're not to love the world system. We're not to identify with the world system or become attached to things that are in it or participate in its sinful pleasures. That, that what's funny to the world shouldn't be funny to us. 
Amen. What the world is praising and touting and, and what the world is setting up on the high pinnacle of, of this is what's okay, that there ought to be a righteous indignation that stirs with our heart. I'm not suggesting that you should go buy a sandwich sign and run up and down the highway with all that. What I am saying is that something ought to turn over raw in our heart to say this is not good and this is not righteous and this is not okay. Amen. We need to specifically avoid three areas that the scripture talks about. The, the Bible talks about the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Those are three areas that the scripture specifically teaches us that we need to avoid these areas of temptation. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I've often said you can't help what you see riding down the road. You can't help what you see on the sidewalk riding down the road, but you can help circling the block three times. You don't have to keep going back. When you know something is there, don't go back. You, you, we should mark that. First John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You don't need a concordance. You don't need a dictionary to figure out. I wonder what the author was trying to say. I wonder what John had on his mind. John said, you love the Lord. If you love the world, then the love of God is not in you. And so the purpose, the purpose of holding the standards is to protect us Amen, it is to protect us in one or more areas of these lives. And so, uh, again, you're gonna hear me repeat things I've said through the years. I'm not saying them again because I'm out of things to say. I'm saying them because I think they bear repeating. If we invite someone over to our home, uh, they, may, they may really love your floor, or they may love the color of the wall, they may love the furniture in your room, but I doubt they're gonna talk to you and say, I've just never seen locks like this. I've just never seen a deadbolt quite like that. That's not, that's not the treasure. The treasure's what's inside. That's what's on the, on the door to protect the treasure. Amen. And so holiness is in our life. But that's, holiness is not the treasure. Holiness is the lock that protects the treasure. Praise God. And so it is protect us in these areas. And holiness involves, I believe, the inner person and the outer person. And I believe it is in error if we put too much focus on either one of those in an imbalanced fashion. You can put so much emphasis on the heart and on the inward man until the outward man is just let go. Or you can put so much emphasis on the outward man and our hearts are corrupt within. Amen. And so I, I really believe that if we're not careful, that's where we can get in trouble is that we become judgmental. And you begin to assess somebody else's life in, in the absence of a lot of background information that you don't know. And so I would just ask you in the middle of this series, if you ever feel inclined at any point that, that whatever I'm teaching on it, and you are sitting there saying, you know, I really hope brother so-and-so is getting this. I really hope brother or sister so-and-so is getting this. If you feel that. I want you to be honest enough with me and yourself to just stand up right in the middle of the message and come down here and let us pray for you. Because what you're thinking is no worse than what they're doing. Amen. Amen. So let our hearts be pure. Let our motives be pure. And let us say, Lord, help us. Because we need a balance of all of this. We need the inner man cleaned and we certainly need the outer man cleaned. I'll talk uh, about that a little bit more tonight, but certainly as we go along. But, but here's what I'm getting at. Hatred is no different than murder. 
And there's nobody in prison tonight for hating somebody. But there's a lot of people in prison for murdering somebody. But murder is the end result of hatred. So just because you can cover something in your heart, it doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's right. Amen. And so one is a thought, spirit, one is, and one is an act, which is flesh. But holiness, I believe, includes attitudes and thoughts on, on, uh, on one hand, actions and appearances on the other, but both are necessary. We need that balance. Holiness is a daily walk, and I believe that daily walk should have a goal, and that goal is overcoming sin, to be conquerors. And so as children of God, I believe that we're not to sin, but if we do, we can certainly receive forgiveness and confession, amen, for confessing our faults one to another, amen, confessing our sins to the Lord, amen. I'm thankful for the power of God, the forgiving hand of the Lord. I got a question for you. Anybody here ever been forgiven? Oh my, oh my, my, my. I'm thankful for the forgiving hand of God, not just one time, not just one time, not just way back when, that one day. No, no, I'm glad for the forgiving hand of God, that ongoing flow. The reason for holiness is to please God and we belong to God in a double sense. We belong to him by creation, but we also belong to him by redemption. He created us, but we were created in a fallen nature because of Adam's sin. But I'm thankful that we have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, what, know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. You're not your own. Did you not know that? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, he said, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Glorify God inwardly and we should glorify God outwardly. The world needs a standard. The world needs something to look to. I don't want to get ahead of myself tonight, but the world needs something and someone to look to. The church is not just a foreign mass or a foreign entity, but the church is you and I. They need somebody to be able to look to and say, you know what, there's something different about how you look, there's something different about how you dress, there's something different about how you talk, there's something different about how you respond. Yeah. Amen. In glorifying God in your body and glorifying God in your spirit. The second reason is for holiness is to communicate Jesus Christ to others because People are going to be attracted to the Lord only to the extent that they see the Lord in us. If we act no different, if we look no different, if we talk no different, if our language is no different, if our jokes are no different, if our entertainment is no different, if where we hang out is no different, they've got no reason to leave where they are if they can't see a better place to go. Amen. And so people who are dissatisfied with their worldly life will only be attracted to a church that is clearly different from everything else they've ever met, everything else they've ever seen. The Bible says in Matthew 5 and 16, let your light so shine before men that may, they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so I believe by that and many other indicators in scripture that there are scriptural principles that our light ought to shine, that there ought to be a difference in how we walk, talk, dress, and act. Amen. The third reason for holiness is to benefit ourselves not only now, but certainly for eternity. The call to holiness, I believe, is rooted in, in the very nature of God. And we're to be holy in everything that we do because the God that we serve is holy. And so those that 
reject the moral law or, the, or practical holiness, fail to understand that holiness is a fundamental characteristic of God. It's who he is. It's not what he is. It's who he is. God is holy. All of the moral attributes of God, everything about him is holy. In particular, God's holiness is the foundation of his love and it gives direction in our own lives because God is holy. He does not love sin, but he hates sin and he hates evil. The Bible talks about Job, a man who loved the Lord, but he eschewed or hated evil. And I believe that there should be a disdain for sin that is in our world. It ought to sicken us. Amen. Amen. It really should not entertain us. It ought to sicken us. Amen. There, there ought to be things that just we're not going to lend our eyes to. We're not going to lend our ears to. There, it's not going to get my affirmation. No, no, no. Amen. Because it should stir up something in us because God is holy. He is holy and his love is impartial. Amen. His love is not impulsive. His love is not indecisive. His love is not all over the map. His love is impartial. And God's, God's love, God loves us so much his love is so pure that his love will never cause him to overlook sin. If somebody loves you, they will confront you. Amen. Parents that just let their children run wild, there's a love issue. Somebody has to love you enough to say no. Somebody has to love you enough to say here's the limit, here's the line. Amen. So the cross shows that God's demand, that there was a demand for, for a punishment of sin. And so there is a line. The supreme source of holiness teaching is, of course, the word of God itself. And the word of God is not the thoughts, the ideas of man, but it is the inspired word of God. Men, mankind did write the word of God, but not according to how they felt that day. They wrote the word of God as they were moved on by the Holy Spirit of the Lord. Amen. And so we have the word of God. It, came, it contains everything that we need to know about salvation. It contains everything we need to know about godly living. Every year, I say this a lot, but every year as we begin reading through the Bible again, I'm just reminded of how many, um, how many fundamental laws of our nation are just founded. You're found right there in the word of God. How much common sense. <laughs> There he is right there in the word of the Lord. 2 Timothy 3 and 15, and that thou from a child hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so I believe that holiness, teaching, and preaching, number one, should come from the Bible. It should come from the word of God. I believe a true holiness standard should be fundamentally rooted either from a direct Bible, biblical statement or a valid application of a biblical principle. Amen. So let me say that again. I believe that a true holiness standards should be either derived from a biblical statement or a valid application of a biblical principle. For example, the Bible spe specifically teaches that drunkenness is sinful. So we've got to acknowledge and we must teach that truth that drunkenness is, that is sinful. 
But in addition to that, there is an underlying biblical principle that would teach us that all forms of intoxication are wrong. So the Bible talks about wine, but the Bible doesn't say anything about marijuana. The Bible talks about the fruit of the vine, but you can't find meth, so it must be okay. No. There is, and you won't even find meth probably in any translation of the word of God, but there is a principle, a principle that all intoxication would be unwise, so we need to abstain from intoxicating drugs, marijuana, wine, cocaine, whatever it may be. Amen. Even though the Bible doesn't mention them by name, there are some things that are principles that we should base that off of. So to help his people understand and live by scriptural principles, the Lord gave the church, not just this church, but the Lord gave the church spiritual leaders. Amen. And they're not hired hit men. They're spiritual leaders to be led of God, to ask God to, uh, to give them the ability because our task is to equip the saints for the building up, for the maturing, for the establishing, for the growth of the body. And so I believe that spirit-filled pastors and teachers should proclaim the word of God. We should be able to explain the word of God and then we ought to be able to apply its principles even in a contemporary setting. Amen. Additionally, the spirit of God teaches us directly not just across the pulpit, but the Spirit of God teaches us directly because there are some inner promptings that just come our way sometimes, right? Some personal convictions, we may say. The Spirit gives us those things to teach us and to guide us. And so I'm thankful for the Bible, and I'm thankful for spiritual leadership, and I'm thankful for the indwelling of the Spirit of God in our heart. So I have His Word I have a voice of spiritual leadership and authority in my life, and then I have the Spirit of God in my life to prompt me, uh, to, to nudge, to lead to God. There's just some things I felt, I've been in a conversation, and the conversation went in the wrong direction. I just felt something. No bells and whistles, no, no thunder clapping. I just felt something in my heart, and I knew right there it was time to change the subject. It was time to, to talk about something else. And so all of these things work together, and I believe that all of those things should complement one another and not confuse one another. And so God doesn't give the human beings the right to change his message, nor um, is the indwelling of the Spirit of God going to speak anything that's contrary to the written Word of God or the inspired Word of God. Amen. So the Lord's not going to tell you to do something that would conflict with the word of God. Holiness is not a means of earning salvation, as some people mistakenly say, but I believe that holiness is a result of salvation. Amen. And as such, it comes by grace and it comes through faith because holiness does not come by works of the flesh, but it comes by submission to his spirit. And, and we can't manufacture our own holiness and we can't be partakers of God's holiness. Holiness is, is uh, I think, two things. I believe that holiness is instantaneous. I believe that there is a such thing as instantaneous holiness, but I believe that there's also a progressive holiness. I've, I've seen people get the Holy Ghost that knew nothing about God. They knew nothing about church. And they have sat across the desk from me or stood in the aisle of the church and, and said, you know, I just, I just felt like I shouldn't do this anymore. Right. Amen. I didn't have a chance to get to them. Right. 
No one had a Bible study with them. It was just the Spirit of God, the instantaneous holiness. They said, you know, I went to do something that I've always done. And when I reached for it, it was just something, something said no. Instantaneous holiness. And then I've watched that progressive holiness where it took a while for people to just to come along. And that's where you need a mature church. Somebody that can just love and somebody that can continue to teach and embrace. Amen. And let the spirit of God do the work. Because if the, if the Lord does the work, it will be done and it'll be done right. And so as children of God, we have received instant, those moments of instant separation from sin when we repented with baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. But we've also realized that through time, it took, it took us a little while for to get some things ironed out in our heart, right? right. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your honesty. Because love is far stricter and more demanding than the law. In truth, it really is. Because love always goes further than duty. Always. Love will march into the night when duty will clock you out at whatever time you're supposed to leave. But love doesn't ask how long, how much, no, no, no. How much is this going to weigh? Love for God will cause somebody to draw much closer to God than legalism ever will, both in attitude, I believe, and in disciplined lifestyles. Love will cause somebody to, someone to avoid everything that hinders a closer walk with God. I just love the Lord too much. This is getting in the way. I've got to set this aside. Love rejects everything that's not clearly compatible with godliness. Even though there's been no rule specifically labeled, uh, labeled something as sin, but just love just says, you know what? This is not my best interest. And I just love the Lord too much. In, in this, the principle of love leads us to a greater holiness than the law of Moses could ever hope to. There's not a list of rules that could ever accomplish what real love will. Amen. Holiness is not an external law, but it's an integral part of a new nature. And, and the Spirit of God uh, places moral laws within us, of course, not written on tables of stone. That's what the Bible says, but written in the heart. I want to read a couple of scriptures, one in Jeremiah 31 and 33. The Bible says, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and I will write it in their hearts and it will, and, and will be their God and they shall be my people. And so he didn't say, well, Moses, Moses was wrong. No, the Lord took the law, amen, and he added love to it, and when he added love to the law, it went further, amen. It went further than the law. The law says thou shalt not commit adultery, but love said if you even look on a woman as a lust after her, you've committed adultery already in your heart. And so love is love is, takes us much further. Hebrews 10 and 16, this is the covenant that I will make them. Uh, after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds will I write them. You know, we hear the, the word legalism. The term legalism means strict or excessive conformity to a legal code or uh, perhaps a set of rules. But in the Christian context, in the Christian context, legalism has two negative connotations. Number one, basing salvation on good works or some strict adherence or observance to a law or the other one would be to impose non-biblical rules. The Bible strongly condemns legalism in this sense. Law is helpful as a, a line of demarcation or a minimum standard. The law is a safety net, but ultimately it is insufficient to produce holiness. The law in and of itself cannot produce holiness. It, we need a line 
We need a fence. But a fence doesn't necessarily make you a good neighbor. A fence doesn't necessarily make you an honest neighbor. A speed limit sign doesn't make you an honest citizen. Nor does it make, does it make you a safe driver. But we still need those reminders. You ever been just riding along in the middle of nowhere and all of a sudden you're just reminded 60 miles an hour. <clears throat> Nobody's there. Not 60 miles an hour and a whole gang of highway patrol standing around the sign. It's just out there by itself. There's some places in our state, um, some highways, you can just ride for miles and not even pass a car. Amen. So that sign alone won't make you a good citizen or a safe driver. But it is a reminder. We need those reminders. Amen. It's not, it's not, that alone is not enough to create honesty in us. As we've already seen, true holiness comes by faith, it comes by love, it comes by the Spirit, and, and, and there are proper, I think, alternatives to legalism. Actually, I believe that, as I've said, that love will lead us further uh, in the lines of self-discipline than the law could ever hope for. If you just fall in love with someone, something, that's going to be enough. Amen. So in rebelling against the legalistic approach, some people discard uh, true holiness principles and they discard valid practical applications. And the problem on, on both sides is a failure to commit quality time, I think, in serious prayerful study of the word of God. Because some people do what we may say, throw the baby out with the wash water. They say, well, one thing was wrong, so everything must be wrong. Well, that's insane. Absolutely, it is insane. And so we can't, you know, some people say, well, the answer to, to legalism is just to have no law. Well, that's anarchy. Amen. <clears throat> no moral restraints. If there is no moral restraints, genuine spirit of freedom is not the freedom to commit sin, but it is freedom from sin's bondage because there can be no Freedom outside the truth. John 8 and 32 reminds us that the truth, somebody could end this for me, shall make you free. It's the truth. The truth is what we have to set us and help us to be free because spiritual freedom is not freedom from truth, but it's freedom to know the truth and the freedom to submit to the truth. It is free to understand that, you know, uh, uh, for example, a man that's ignorant of the law of gravity and walks off a cliff, he's not free. He's not free at all. Amen. He's free from when he understands the danger of walking off a cliff. Knowledge is power. That was real freedom. Amen. Because now he can preserve his life. He can preserve his future. And a Christian is free because they know what sin is and they know how deadly it is and they know that they have the power to overcome it. I am speaking to people in this building tonight that have been in the vice of sin. You know what sin can do and will do and what sin has tried to do in your life. Amen. So to say I'm submitted to the Lord is not an issue for you tonight because you know the real danger is not submitting to the Lord. Biblical uh, Christianity is not a, a life of bondage, but it is a, a life of liberty. And liberty does not eliminate the call to holiness. It does not eliminate the call to holiness. I believe that we can identify Three aspects of Christian liberty. I believe that we are free from sin. Sin and God's will are mutually exclusive. Therefore, by definition, to be free from one means that we are submitted to the other. 
Amen. We are free from sin. We are submitted to God. Free from one, submitted to the other. And so to exercise Christian liberty means that we're free from sin's bondage, which means that we have the privilege, the opportunity to obey and serve God. There's a freedom from the law. God has not abolished the moral law, but Christians are free from the Old Testament law in several ways. Follow me. Freedom from the penalty of the law. That was death. You read through the law, it's pretty tough. Amen. Christ died in our stead, so the law has no power to condemn us. We're freedom from the attempt to fulfill the law by our human effort alone. That was what was wrong in what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Amen. God sent his son. Hallelujah. Amen. The Old Testament saints were bound like children under tutors. They could not fully overcome the flesh and keep God's moral law. But the spirit, according to Romans 8 and 2, 3, and 4, amen, the spirit gives us the power, the power to overcome the flesh and the power to keep God's moral law. Aren't you thankful for the Holy Ghost? It's not just a tongue-talking experience. Amen. It's not a one-time thing. It's not something that happened long ago. It's not something that happened on such and such a date. But the Spirit of God gives us the power, the continuing power to overcome the flesh and the power to keep the command of God. Amen. I believe that we can participate in any activity that doesn't violate the principles of God's Word. We have the freedom to follow individual judgment, we have the freedom to follow individual desire and conscience in, in, in morally neutral areas. We have the freedom to do that. In other words, uh, eating of meat and observing of certain days that Romans 14 talks about. In these matters, we shouldn't judge others. Amen. But we need to be true to our own personal convictions. We need to let the Spirit of God lead us in those areas. I believe that Christian liberty does not negate the responsibility to obey scriptural teaching on holiness, nor does it eliminate the responsibility to follow godly leaders when they apply biblical principles of holiness to current issues. We are living in a, no one obviously has been in this day, in this time, in this season. So we need godly leadership to help us navigate through this world in this time. I'm going to ask our musicians if they will uh, to come. But as they do, I want to talk about four guidelines for um, that we can exercise our Christian liberty in what I'm referring to as non-moral matters. In other words, or maybe specifically I should say, we need to do everything to the glory of God. Everything to Him. This is not about me how I dress, how I live, how I think, how I walk, how I talk, how I treat one another, it ought to be to the glory of God. Not so that someone can think more of me as a person or you as a person. I believe that we should avoid things that are not beneficial to us. Amen. Paul talks about some things are lawful, but they're not expedient. It's not in our best interest. I should not get involved with that. We should abstain from things that are detrimental to us physically, mentally, or spiritually. Hebrews talks about in 12 and 1 that we should lay aside, lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. But there are some things that are not sinful. They're just weights. They're things we don't need. Amen. We should avoid things that gain dominance over us. We shouldn't let anything rob us 
of all of our energy or all of our time or all of our resources so that it interferes in our relationship with God. Nothing, nothing should come between us and the Lord. And we've got to be honest with ourselves about that. When something's getting a hold of us, it doesn't have to be sinful. It's just dominating our time. It's taking too much of my calendar. I can't be involved in things of the church because I'm doing all this over here. Then we need to be honest with ourselves and say, you know what? I've never heard this preached on, never heard it preached against. But this is infringing on my walk with God. This is affecting my family. This is affecting my children. Amen. So we should avoid those things. I believe that we should also avoid things that harm others and avoid anything that would cause somebody else to stumble. Amen. I don't preach on this often enough. You need to forgive me for that. But we don't, we don't, we should not involve ourselves in anything that should cause somebody else to stumble. Somebody else to wonder and question. Amen. Don't put anything in their path. Amen. So we're we're called to this relationship. And so now the answer or the question is, what are we going to do about that call? I'll ask you to stand if you will. And um, oh, for whatever it's worth, I've kind of wrestled with whether or not to share this, but for whatever it's worth, I'll leave you with something that happened to me just within the recent days. In order to make this story make sense, I need to go back and just uh, give you a little insight. <clears throat> but in order for a person to be become a licensed minister in the United Pentecostal Church um, there's a lot of requirements and uh, there's a lot of books that have to be read and there's tests that have to be taken there's video um, it's all well done very well done all the ministers here can attest to that but there are several sessions um, I don't know how many would you think ten how many is 10 in each session? Okay. So there's 10 sessions, 10 videos, and uh, 10 books. <laughs> you want to just come tell them? <laughs> he's, he's breaking out in a cold sweat while I'm talking about this. Just going back down this road. Going back down this road. Um, not for the faint of heart. Uh, <laughs> he said 10 big books. Um, and so from every session of these videos on a, on a variety of subjects, wide variety of subjects, then you are tested on what you, their questions are based not only from the videoed sessions from the teachers, but also from the books that are required reading. And so, um, again, I think if somebody just handed you a card, that's how much it'd be worth. And so I'm all for the process. And I've always been for the process. So a few nights ago, I was in a meeting, and I saw a young man that I, I know recently turned in his application. He is scheduled to meet the board in February. And so I walked up to him, and, and I said, uh, Looking forward to, you know, you meeting the board. And, and I said, I want you to talk to me about the process. Tell me about the journey. And so 
he said just a few things, and then he paused. He said, can I just be honest with you? I said, sure. He said, at first, I just looked at this as this is what I have to do to get a license. And he said, but when I got past, and he did those little air quotes, this is what I have to do. He said, I saw this differently and I saw the beauty of what was being offered to me. Somebody was teaching me how to avoid some pitfalls and somebody was helping me to to understand that this is not just about picking up a Bible, opening it up and finding the scripture and hauling off with whatever your thoughts are randomly. But somebody is walking you through the process and saying this is what you should be if you're called to preach and And today, as I was concluding my study time, I couldn't help but my mind go back to that illustration because he said, when I got past, this is what I have to do. And I've met people that never got past, this is what I have to do. And if you never get past, this is what I have to do. The world that awaits on the other side of just saying, yes, Lord. All the beauty that God can open and unfold like a rose and so if you see holiness and separation as just something you have to do you're looking at the wrong side of this coin you're looking through the wrong lens and I'm going to go back to my opening comment which was probably about an hour and a half ago my opening comments were this if we can't look around us and see all the broken walls and the broken fences and all the lines of demarcation that society has rubbed out and said this is no longer necessary. And now because of those lines of demarcation being erased, the things that are happening in our public schools are atrocious. Unthinkable. There's grown men and women in this building that didn't think you would live long enough in this country to see that somebody could sit your little girl down and try to convince them that they're a boy or sit your boy down and convince them they're a girl. You know how we got here? Because somebody said, this is not important. This is not important. We do whatever we want to do. This is an old antiquated book whose principles no longer apply to the world in which we live, I come tonight to this pulpit to declare they've always mattered and they still matter. And they always will. They always will. They always will. Amen. Lord, I love you tonight. I thank you for the... This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.